0: Navigating the Datascape, with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode eight of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and we're going to talk about the announcements from the Microsoft Data AMP event, as well as the recently announced SQL Server 2017 with Warner Chavez. Hey, Warner, welcome back. Hey, Chris, how's it going? It's great to be back as usual on the Datascape. Thanks for joining us. For anyone who hasn't heard the other episodes you were on, can you give us a bit of your background?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Warner Chavez. I'm a SQL DBA slash consultant at Pythian. And I've been doing the database administration slash consulting job for almost, it's almost 10 years now going on 11 really. And I'm also a Microsoft Data Platform MVP and I try to keep up up to date on a, a lot of the the cloud stuff nowadays too, and basically mostly AWS and Azure. though I'm gonna have to start learning about a little bit about Google very soon as well.
0: Good. Well, well, it's great to have you back, Warner. So let's dive right in to Microsoft Data Amp. Just for our listeners who may have missed it, what what is that? So
1: Data Amp was an event that Microsoft put together. I. Believe it was about ten days ago that Data Amp happened, and we had basically Scott Guthrie and uh, Joseph Sirach, who are two high up level execs at Microsoft. Scott's for the general enterprise cloud, and Joseph is for the data platform. And they went through the big new things that are coming out for data platform, basically in the next, I would say, it's next six months or so. And yeah, lots of exciting stuff to talk about. And as usual, the cloud wars just continue to heat up.
0: Okay. I saw parts of it. One of the things that really interested me was the Azure Data uh, data Migration Service. Are you familiar with that?
1: Yeah. So I think it's interesting because it seems that a lot of the R&D dollars for data platform this year in terms of Azure cloud services is going into reducing the friction for adopting the service if you're already bought into the data platform, right? So A migration service, obviously, to make it really, really easy to migrate from, number one, the most obvious one, is going to make it really easy to migrate from SQL, though the goal, I know, is that we're going to have a service that can support all different types of engines, right? So eventually, they they want to have a migration service that will be able to migrate from Oracle to Azure SQL DB, for example, right? The beginning, though, I'm pretty sure we're starting only for SQL to Azure SQL DB and probably some of the other things like Azure SQL managed instance, which is the other big announcement that came out. But yeah, in general, it looks like a lot of investment to make it really easy for people to take their current SQL server on-prem investments and move them as painlessly as possible into the cloud, right? So the data migration service is supposed to be, it's going to make it really easy to just go in and say, hey, this is where my on-prem machine is. This is Uh, Whether I wanna go in the cloud and my migration service is going to either do a one shot or it's going to have a sort of replication sync. And then when you're ready to do the cutover, you just, you go live on the cloud and that's kind of it, right? So AWS has a migration service. So again, the cloud wars, right? The competition, everybody wins when we're competing, right? The Microsoft feels the pressure of how easy it is nowadays to uh, migrate from on-prem to AWS because of their migration service, or to migrate from uh, AWS IaaS and EC2 into RDS because of their migration service. So this is another thing that Microsoft is probably gonna wanna tap into is to try to make it easy for their current SQL Server IaaS clients to migrate into the fully managed services, right? Azure SQL DB, Azure SQL Managed Instance, and Azure SQL Data Warehouse
0: okay so can we go into a little bit more detail about the data migration service like can you just start at the basics as at what is it like is a do i give access to a bunch of consultants at microsoft to do the migration for me uh, Is it an automated solution it is, can you tell me
1: a little bit about how sure it works? so it, it the the intent right now is to for it to be as automated as possible right right now i believe it is private preview so very early still, I'm not sure if it's going to go public preview really soon or if it is already in public preview. It's definitely in previous stage, but it is supposed to be a full hands-off, automated experience through the portal or probably through the, the PowerShell as well. So you only go in, you declare what you want to do. So it's not like you have to go in and tell it exactly what it is, one line by line, right? It's, it's You declare what you want it to do to go from A to, to be, and then the service will do that for you. You will need some scratch space. I believe you have to, there'll be some storage costs probably associated to it because you're moving, potentially moving backups to the migration. If it's like a one-shot type of thing or moving snapshots, if it's going to be done through like something like replication, I don't think they've announced yet exactly, or if they're even going to commit to exactly what's going to be the under the covers mechanism until they're ready to go live with it. Okay, so a bit too early. It's still pretty exciting. It is really early. I think once it actually comes out and it's a full RTM version and we get a chance to really kick the tires on it, then we can probably have an episode just to to talk about it, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that we should do that. I think anything that makes it, any of these tools are, are pretty exciting to anyone in IT. You mentioned Azure managed instances. So what what are the, we already have SQL DB, so what's a, what's a managed instance?
1: Yeah, so this one is, it seems that we should have had this a very long time ago. Somebody could even make the case that Microsoft should have gone out the door with managed instance before it went out the door with Azure SQL Database, right? Because Managed Instance, what it does is it takes the concept, the very familiar instance concept that we have on-prem and transports it into the cloud inside Azure SQL Database. So you're still going to have the advantages of Azure SQL Database, like backups, on-demand restore, on-demand scalability, high availability, the under the covers, patching and enablement of features. All that stuff is still going to be part of Azure SQL Managed Instance. But it's going to put all your databases inside the instance container right? Which is what we have on-prem. Now, years ago, Microsoft decided when they were instrumenting or creating this, uh, designing Azure SQL database, that for some reason, the, the way to go in the cloud wasn't to go with instances. It was to go with individual databases. And that's why we have the model that we have today, where each database is really a single entity, contained entity, right? And while this is makes some things very easy for example for isvs who have the the classic uh, one client one database model or for people that just have a few databases or for people that are used to having very high isolation between databases and it's, it's pretty easy to adopt you go in and probably not missing many features but the problem is that because SQL Server, first of all, is such a popular product that so many people use it and so many people have done so many things with it. You have a huge percentage of people that built their solutions under the concept of the instance. And what that means is that they were building the solution with the assumption that their databases would always be able to talk with each other, right? And be inside this container where they could freely move information back and forth. So we come up with these solutions where the client says, well, my solution is not really just one database, my solution is actually four or five databases, and I have a piece here, and I have another piece here, I have another piece here, and they communicate through three-part names, right? When we specify, I want to select something from database, owner, and object, right? Mm -hmm. All this, the moment you move it to Azure, all this code breaks right now on Azure SQL DB because they are self-contained entities and will not recognize that they're both inside the same uh, the same entity, like the instance. If you even if you put them in the same server in Azure SQL Database, the server is just a container for your logical resources. It's not still they won't be able to see each other transparently, right? Okay. So again, we need to decrease the friction for migrating. Just how the migration services. Is. This is a, a new service, a new way to present Azure SQL Database to decrease the migration friction because those same five databases. Now you'll be able to say, well, I don't want to migrate them individually to Azure SQL DB. I want to migrate them as a whole, as the instance itself. And that'll enable them, for example, three-part names, which don't work in Azure SQL DB. They'll work in managed instance. In- intra- instance service broker is going to work for sure. I am not sure they're going to enable cross-instance service broker, but you know, who knows? Maybe they will. I know that they are working very hard as well on not going live with managed instance without VNet support, which is something that people grill Azure SQL Database all the time because Azure SQL Database right now, the way that the network security works is that you get a public internet endpoint and you have to secure it with a firewall, right? And that is very, very painful to manage if you're deploying uh, new uh, application servers and you want them to communicate to your database. You have to make sure that they have static IPs, and you have to make sure that you update the firewall inside uh, your Azure SQL database server and the database itself. So instead of just being able to put everything inside a VNet and just say my Azure SQL database is a resource inside this VNet and that's it, and everything that's inside the VNet can talk to it, we have this this other model that people hate, and we and people have been you know clamoring for months for be able to put a specific Azure SQL database inside a virtual network. So that is coming with managed instance. So you will be able to say this managed instance lives inside this virtual network only, mm-hmm. and there will not be a public endpoint for it. Because even though there's a firewall and you know you can specify and whitelist the specific IPs that can connect to it, people don't like having a public endpoint for no reason. And that's it. Right, right now, especially right. nowadays, everybody's so nervous about security. They're like, well, it's okay, yeah, I have a public endpoint, but what if somebody makes a mistake and, and inadvertently opens up uh, the ports for my database? Then because there's a public endpoint, immediately I could be you know, a target to get hacked, right? Okay. So that's the fear that people have right now, even with the current solution of firewall. And it's something that, yeah, I'm really excited that's going to get solved because it comes up all the time as a pain point for databases that are very sensitive in terms of security. Nowadays, almost everything is sensitive in terms of security.
0: So we went really far there. I want to jump back (laughs) (laughs) a little bit (laughs) and talk about the the word managed in instance. So if I hear this right, we have Azure... Infrastructure as a ser- sorry SQL Server in infrastructure as a service, so that's a VM yeah. where it's running SQL Server like anything, just in Microsoft's data centers. We have SQL DB, which is on the extreme right, with not you know not everything works, and it's we get a database and they do most of the work for us yeah. in terms of manage- management. So it sounds like this is in between, right? Mm-hmm. Can you clarify like the, the word manage? What's managed for us in, in this service?
1: Okay, so this is something very interesting because it's something that I actually spoke a little bit with the Microsoft guys about. And because I thought, I thought at the beginning, I thought this is gonna be their RDS. So basically it's gonna be, look just exactly like SQL Server, except they built some automation for it, and they're gonna lock out OS access. And that's right. going to be, that's it. And that's going to be end of the story. It's going to be SQL on IaaS, I managed instance, and Azure SQL Database. And and that's it, right? But no, turns out Azure managed instance is going to be living inside Azure SQL Database's fabric and framework that they've built. So it's not going to be like RDS where basically, you know, Amazon just installs SQL on a VM and then they lock out access and they just put in automations on top of it. And, and then you go really step-by-step step with the retail product, right? On, on RDS, for SQL, if Microsoft comes out with, let's say, 2016 Service Pack 1, then you have to wait for Amazon to certify the 2016 Service Pack 1 and enable it on RDS, and then you can run it, right? So it goes, it, it's it goes very step-by-step, uh, step, same as the retail product, right? So... Azure managed instance is not gonna be like that. It's gonna live inside the Azure SQL database framework. So that means that it will benefit from the cloud first development. So uh, new features that will get enabled in the cloud first, they will get enabled on managed instance. So once you migrate to managed instance, it's not like you will be going uh, tied step-by-step to the retail version like RDS does. You will be at that point on the continuous delivery and continuous release train of Azure SQL Database, right? So, and we're talking that, that means you will not, definitely will not have access to the OS. You will not have access to have to do anything related to the operating system in terms of patching antivirus or anything like that. You will have access to your instance, but you will not have access to like destroy your instance, right? you will, I mean, you can destroy it from the portal, but you can not destroy it by like being like, I want to delete my master database and you shot yourself in the foot, right? Right. Managed in terms of backup, like I mentioned, it's managed in terms of uh, high availability, it's going to be really easy to set up, just how it, today is like so easy to set up for Azure SQL Database, right, to do the geo-replication. And it's also managed in the sense that, again, you won't have to worry about patching your SQL once you go into managed instance. And under the covers, you'll be basically under the umbrella of the cloud-first development model, where, you know, you one day they might be like, hey... We have this new algorithm for automatic tuning and we just enabled it today. You want to give it a shot, go ahead and you do it and you just go ahead and you do it, right? Like pretty much how it works today with Azure SQL Database's new features. They just enabled, what was it the other day? They enabled something like the resumable index rebuilds. So that's something that's going to come out in 2017. I believe it's already available in preview in Azure SQL Database. And that's it, that's just one day. A blog post comes out and says, hey, there's a new feature here use it, and the story, right? And that's okay. that's what we want. I assume that's what people want, to get new features all the time when you pay for a monthly service.
0: Okay. Uh, okay, Sound, sounds good. And what
1: what is the stage of release of the service? Is it available now? Or? No, right now, managed instance is on, definitely on private preview, and it'll go public preview later on this year, and eventually, yeah, RTM at some, okay. some point this year. I assume they're probably going to, do a very big push, and this is all my assumption, nothing official that I've been told, but I assume they're going to do a big push to have public preview, about the same time frame as SQL 2017 release.
0: Right? Okay, makes makes sense. So the other thing that on Data Amp that was pretty exciting was they announced VNext SQL Server VNext, which is in public preview, would become mm-hmm. SQL tw- SQL Server 2017. I think they even announced some release dates and some new features. What were some of the exciting features that, that you heard were coming?
1: So first, I think it's interesting that, you know, for the first time ever, we're talking about a major release version that is one year away from a previous release version. Because even 2008 R2, two, it was two years away, right? It was in 2010 right. that it came out. So this is the most aggressive release cycle that we've seen so far. Now, I a lot of people will say, well, the only reason why we're releasing so aggressively is because of... SQL on Linux, and because Microsoft wants to put SQL on Linux out the door as fast as possible, right? But who knows? Time will only tell. Will we see a SQL 2018? Is it going to be, become a thing nowadays, right? Is it a thing so that they can try to entice more clients to pay for software assurance? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, that's something I think was uh, it's kind of interesting. I wonder if it makes some people nervous. Some, you know, some shops don't like version changes. Well, I I mean I I thought
0: that their release schedule was aggressive to begin with, and I I do want to talk about that a little bit later after we talk about some of the features. Other than it being you know available on Linux, what else was exciting? It's about an it?
1: interesting mixed bag of stuff, right? Because it seems <laughs> that the the main driver is to get SQL and Linux out the door. And they're obviously, they, they never stopped working on new stuff, right? So they had a certain amount of features that were ready for public consumption. And they were like, well, let's just, you know, let's take it, let's throw it in there, right? So Because sometimes you see the kind of like the guided vision. Let's, let's call it that for a version, right? So 2012, availability groups was the thing, right? 2014, right. the thing was definitely a memory OLTP. Right. 2016 is a very very evolution type of release where they did tons of improvements under the covers for ags where we have clients that got amazing new performance on ags lots of improvements on column store lots of improvements in memory uh, the huge game changer that is the service pack one 2016 enabling all these enterprise features in standard edition right but then we look at uh, 2017 and it's really well the big Thing, the big driver is definitely SQL and Linux. And after that is a bunch of uh, interesting features um, that might not be really connected in themselves, right? We could go all the way from having something like automatic tuning to Python that you can run inside SQL Server to some new string functions to all the way to even graph capabilities, right? So suddenly, SQL Server is now competing with graph databases like Neo4j, for example. So, very, very, very interesting mixed bag of new features automatic tuning in my opinion for example is one that actually ties back into our whole discussion about the automation of dbas automating dbas out of a job as well right
0: yeah well i mean depending on how the dbas you know keep up and change adapt folks our first episode of the podcast if you didn't hear it warner and i went into the evolution of the dba into what we call the data platform consultant potentially and then the second episode rich warner and i talked about the viability of sql server on linux and you know use cases for it and stuff. So if you want to go a little bit deeper into either of those, please do check out episodes one and two. So Warner, you you mentioned Python. So we we recently got R server mm-hmm. and R integration. Uh, now we get Python. As a DBA, do you think
1: the DBAs need to know
0: R and Python?
1: I don't think so. If you want to go into data science, sure. I think you need to know the basics of R and Python, as in like you know how you're supposed to deploy it or how to easily operationalize it i think that's really the key right i don't it seems that the way the industry is kind of hyping data science it makes it sound like they want to basically tell like if you're a data professional today you have to become a data scientist it's like you know i don't like that kind of like messaging that it seems to be coming out really aggressively that everything we have to do nowadays if you want to be a data pro you you just have to be dealing with data science you have to become a data scientist or you're out of a job so first of all that's not happening yet and some people might not like it right some people might not simply look i don't like r i don't like python why do i have to become a data scientist And that's fair but what you will have to learn and you won't have a choice is about operationalizing and properly running that python or that r that companies' data scientists are going to want to run okay. because it's it's very easy to come up with experiments and to run stuff from my laptop but it's a whole nother ball game to put them in production and to operationalize them in a way that it's secure performant highly available and easy to consume by upstream services because i I'm, i've met quite a bit of data scientists and they're super smart people and they know a lot about their algorithms but they don't know that much about real operationalizing on specific platforms, right? Like right. one data scientist can come up with an algorithm that you want to apply to data that's in SQL, or maybe he came up with an algorithm that you want to apply to data that's in Oracle. And operationalizing things in Oracle and SQL Server is vastly different, right? So that's where I think the key is for DBAs. It's not so much as in, you now have to learn Python, you now have to learn R, is in you have to learn how these new ways to run code in your database have to be operationalized so that again their performance secure highly available etc
0: right And, and that's an interesting shift because you know i spent a lot of my career as a production dba optimizing sql code and working with developers to optimize either the schema or their code and based on what you're saying you know I wouldn't if I go that way, I wouldn't be able to work with the data scientist to say, "Hey, you know you could rewrite this Python this way." So we have to set the expectations right then.
1: Yeah, well, man, it's tough nowadays still to today there There are definitely DBAs that can rewrite SQL that I would hire and that I would pay them whatever they wanted, but they don't fall out of trees. And now, yeah. if we're going to think about, oh on top of knowing how to optimize SQL, the dba profile that i as an employer i'm looking for also includes that my dba has to be a python tuner and an art tuner
0: yeah. it's not
1: gonna happen like you, yeah. we have to be realistic about the expectations of a single role while we put in yeah. the in the shoulders of one person right like one one dba we keep putting all these like things that they're supposed to do it's just it's too much at this point
0: yeah, I, I agree. Well, it's it's a kind of an interesting piece on the, the the episode of our first episode where we said, you know, DBAs are going to become more generalist, but it also sounds like we'll still need people who are highly, highly specialized in very, but smaller pieces. It sounds like you could make your career on, like before it was hard to make a career on one piece of SQL Server. You could maybe arguably be a good tuner or a good production DBA and kind of okay at either, but and maybe some data architecture, but now there's more pieces and they're much more complicated so you could probably make a career on high availability you could, you could probably make yeah. a career on tuning you can make a career in data integrations and also cloud and probably 10 other things
1: if i, so I had to recommend something yeah if i had to recommend something it would be make a career of something that's nothing to do with infrastructure yeah cuz infrastructure when we you know it's it's going to be solved it's going to be solved in the next 5 to 10 years if you want to do a data wrangling data integration that's very interesting stuff if you want to do data scientists, if that's very interesting stuff too. If you want to look into infrastructure, I would say think big scale, look into uh, automation, monitoring, everything to do it, declarative, that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, Python on SQL, very interesting. According to the data scientists that I've talked to, they the, the feeling that they had was that R was a cool thing, but that R was really not for production, like robustness that Python has. So I'm not a data scientist expert, but the people that I've spoken to that do work day, day in and day out with both and have operationalized both, I got the impression from them was that, you know, this is basically Microsoft going from, you know, junior to senior high school. Right. right.
0: And it makes sense. and And I know there are, whenever I go to conferences, any of the data science courses or talks or whatever are packed all of the DBAs are going and i think that that makes sense but for those who haven't had a lot of experience with it i did take a couple of years ago i got interested in, and took a week long data science course mm-hmm. and i took our and while i had no problem understanding the language and the concepts of libraries is very you know basic programming where i really struggled is i didn't i don't have a strong mathematical and statistical background. So, yeah, I was really easy. You know, I was able to navigate the language and set everything up and work well with it. I didn't know what statistical analysis to run on the data to leverage the value of the data or to ask my proper questions. So, yeah. this is where I think, you know, DBA, I agree with you, DBAs can figure all of this out and productionalize it. But if you want, there's more background, there's more to it than the language. The language is oh, actually absolutely. pretty easy. It's yeah. taking the statistics courses, which are not necessarily fun to uh, to everyone. Yeah. To You have to have that core knowledge.
1: And they don't have to do anything with tech, right? It's a math course, yeah. basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, I
1: mean, and a computer science courses. That's know, what I'm saying. Math, if you know like that and you want to be a DBA that knows that, by all means, more power to you, right? Yeah. But if you don't, don't feel like, oh my God, my career is done because I don't want to learn statistics. No, that's okay. You don't have to but you will have to learn how to operationalize it, right? Right, right, agreed. I and mean, then load
0: balance it and all that other stuff. Everything that Let's comes talk. with
1: operationalizing it, yeah.
0: I, I saw a lot of hype around adaptive query processing. What, what's that?
1: So these are very, this is a very nerdy, for a very nerdy feature, but very cool. So for and this is mostly you know the the DBAs that are listening to these are are the ones that are going really going to benefit from this adaptive querying and the automatic tuning, which is like you know this it's like this push of a smart tuning or smart executions, let's say that are coming into SQL Server as a product. So adaptive query, what it does is that and um, they've they've identified certain operations that are really hard for the engine to produce really accurate estimates. And so what they've said is, instead of coming in and generating an execution plan, and then we just plow through the execution plan, regardless of how well we're doing, let's take a breather at these key points inside an execution plan and recompute the rest right so for example the i think i believe the first one of those operations is going to be multi-line table value functions because it's really hard to estimate that and so what they're going to do is that once the engine has the output of the multi-line table value function then it's going to compute the rest of the plan based on what that output is right so what that means is that we're going to be chewing up a little bit more cpu in to basically pay for higher plan quality right okay and it just makes sense too because right we are going through here with the moore's law right we get more and more computing power back in the day like you probably remember to sql 2000 sql 2005 we did tons of things to avoid compilation right yeah tons of things were done to avoid yeah. compilation nowadays if i get an issue of like parameter sniffing or something like that or a or a table variable that's being passed into a SQL and it's giving me a bad plan. The number one thing I do, I just go option recompile, and that's it, it's solved. I don't care. And it's the reason why I don't care before anybody freaks out, is that 99 percent of the cases it's a bleep in CPU consumption. Right. Immeasurable. You couldn't even measure it just compiling it. Why? Because we have so much CPU power nowadays. There are very few and Pythia managers thousands, literally thousands of machines. And I can tell you out of these thousands, there are very, maybe a couple dozen that actually are uh, CPU bound. The vast majority of servers are not CPU bound anymore. And so it just makes sense for Microsoft to recognize that and to say, look, we don't have to be as aggressive with avoiding like a a mid-stage compilation for an execution plan. Let's just burn the extra CPU. Let's get better uh, plan quality and produce better plans, right? So that's coming in with uh, that, uh, those stable value functions. I believe it's also coming in with batch mode, so column store-based joins. I th- believe that there's some operations where it's going to stop and then decide if it's going to change the join that it's going to do. So that's going to be uh, interesting too. And I believe it's also going to be adaptive to memory grants for a query. So if you run a query and let's say the memory grant was too small and you spilled to TempDB, then it's going to remember that. And then the next time it runs the query, it's going to increase your memory grant. And then let's say you didn't spill to TempDB, but you didn't actually use it all. So the next time it's going to remember that again, and it's going to decrease the memory until it finds... That like sweet spot to run the query, so very very cool, very interesting stuff. And again, what's what's this going? What's this doing? It's making it so that where I myself before would go and put in the hint option recompile and say I did something for somebody, uh, you know, I fixed something today. It's gonna get SQL Server is gonna fix it itself, right? You won't. Right. It won't need human intervention.
0: Right. Right. So it's the it's setting all the groundwork for. Even put you know sticking AI into the you know the operation of the database engine and changing it is a
1: little that. bit of intelligence in it yeah absolutely yeah. and automatic tuning is coming in the same way automatic tuning is going to leverage and and I think everybody saw this coming like a million miles away when we saw the release of the query store in two thousand sixteen automatic tuning takes query store and takes all that wealth of information that's in the query store and it takes the DBA out of the equation. Right? It says, well, I don't, why do I need the DBA to come in and, and tell me that I need to use a better plan? If I have all the plans already in the query store, you can solve it with intelligence by the software, right? The software can go in now and say, okay, I see I detected a regression. Do I have a better plan in the query store? I do have a better plan in the query store. Am I allowed to do automatic, uh, automatic tuning? And if I'm allowed, then the engine will just say, yeah, use, let's use the other plan and recalculate. And okay, the re- regression is done. That's it. You keep running, right? Okay. So very, very interesting stuff. I I wonder how automatic tuning is going to be adopted by people because I can see some people being a little bit freaked out by surrendering, not surrendering control, but by, you know, like saying like, well, the software is now doing those decisions for me, but in the long run, probably everybody's going to run with automatic tuning on, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty it makes sense. I mean it's tuning is there's all kinds of rules and factors but it's it's reasonable to program most of them and say when you see these things do this thing and and that sort of thing. So especially I when you
1: have the query store, right? Yeah. Cuz it's it's yeah. very interesting like in, we know the execution optimizer is, is heuristic, right? So sometimes it's going to generate one plan, sometimes it's going to generate a different mm-hmm. one. And there's many factors as to why it will generate one to the other. But thanks to the query store, the trickiest part for the the trickiest part for the optimizers to decide is this plan better than another one without actually running it. Right? That's the key. It can't run every single plan that it thinks of and then at the end of the day decide, oh, this one was the better one when I run all of them. And so right. I'm gonna stick to this one. But that's literally what the query store is doing. Right? Right. It's just that as you use the server in general, you're generating this intelligence and this information so that the engine can basically not have to guess which plan is the best one based on the cost, right, the cost-based optimization, but instead can actually pick the real best one because it already ran it and it saw that it's the best one, right?
0: Right, that makes sense. So if I was running, say, SQL Server 2014 right now, Mm -hmm. are there compelling reasons to upgrade to 2017?
1: 2014, absolutely. 2014 is definitely, absolutely, yes. Because AGS. if you're running AGs in 2014, huge improvements under the covers in 2016, plus you'll get new capabilities in 2017, like for example, the ability to run read-scale copies without having to actually build a cluster. So a lot will simplify deployment quite a bit. 2014 was a V1 of in-memory OLTP, and now with 2017, there's many more constructs that have been added to in-memory OLTP that are supported in terms of the sql surface area. And uh, lots of improvements under the covers into um, uh, how it does redo for in-memory tables and how it does the uh, file management for the Delta files and the data files for in-memory tables. Lots of stuff there under the covers, you get a huge boost. Writable column store was uh, V1 on 2014 as well. So remember in 2012, the column store was read-only. In 2014, it was enabled as read and write for the very first time. Now it's way more mature. A lot more runs in batch mode on these releases nowadays. I think the harder sell is 2016 to 2017. That's what I was going to ask next. Unless you're like really, really want to migrate from Windows to Linux, it's a tough one. If somebody's starting from scratch, of course, you want to start from scratch with the latest version. That'll be really easy to sell, right? Yeah, look, this is the latest and greatest, just deploy that. But if you already made an investment in 2016, it's a tough one. Why, why would you migrate to 2017? It's right. the, like I said, it's a mix. It's a, it's a bunch of new cool features, I will agree, but I don't know if they warrant a full migration unless it's really okay. easy to do. First of all, so unless you all have SA, so you won't pay for it. It's already part of your like subscription from Microsoft. And B, if it's really easy to do in terms of you can easily get new infrastructure deployed and you can just set up really quick an AG or or a mirroring because mirroring is deprecated, but it's still there and it still works for the rolling upgrades before anybody calls me out on that. And and so you can still, you know, easily move from one to the other, then maybe. But again, man hours, if you're in a company that has to certify the software, because moving the database is easy. The the application is something else and you want to you have to test it you have to do a dry run for it if it's a production system i don't know if there's a compelling argument so fast one year after to do that type of investment right right it's so the, the cost look, of the people is what's expensive
0: and and what about i don't know if any companies still do this but it was really popular 5 years ago to wait for service pack 1 to be released of <laughs> of sql server yeah. or some other things is yeah. that still valid
1: i don't i don't think so i mean yeah Nowadays I I think people are running production with RTM. I have we have clients that run ran in production without RTM of two thousand sixteen without without major issues. I would say they're getting better. You know, their releases are more robust in general. And that's kind of like old school thinking. Like, you know, I yeah. need service pack one before I can go out. Well, what's gonna happen when you move to the cloud? There's literally like a new R, new RTM every yeah. month that happens under the covers. You don't even know. You don't even notice. Right, so I don't think that's uh, something to really worry about. But like I said, the features are cool, yes. But do they warrant a full upgrade if you're in 2016? Probably not. If it requires a lot of, if it requires a lot of effort for the application testing and certifying, then probably not. Unless you like okay. really, like I said, really desperately need that Linux support. Or you Which I don't know really... if I'd want to yeah. be an
0: early adopter of that production myself. Yeah. So.
1: Obviously, I no support. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's hard. It
0: depends what it is, but it, it, we digress quick. I mean, we we got a whole hour on that one. Yeah. Um, it was one of my favorite episodes. Is there anything else out of either Data Amp or 2017 that you would like to mention?
1: Either out of Data Amp or 2017, no, not really. I mean, I think uh, in general, it just seems like the data story is continues to fill up, let's say, the little pieces of the puzzle so that we actually mm-hmm. get into a final state where everything can run as a service, right? Right. So right. managed instance comes into play with that, where we had that gap. Now we're going to have a as a service for that. Migration is the same thing, where everybody, every DBA was running their own like little tools manually and all that stuff. We're going to have a service for that. Something that we haven't talked about, but that it's been there for a few months and just came generally available was Azure Analysis Services. So, right, Analysis Services as a service, try saying that really fast. So that's another piece of the puzzle that's now there. Now we have uh, analytical models that you can deploy in the cloud, highly available, backup and restore as a service, right? right? So all the little pieces are continuing to plug into the Azure ecosystem just really nice and really cool and i think a lot of people something else that you know if you're a dba and you're like i don't really want to go into these data scientists things and and so far uh, i don't want to go into infrastructure and anyway the architecture for these all these little pieces of cloud i think is going to be a hot commodity as well in the in the at least in the you know near medium future when everybody's trying to migrate and think what are the services? How do I configure them? How do I make them work for me in terms of you know efficiency and not spend uh, my entire IT budget on all these as a service things?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that there's definitely a career, a career path to understanding because there are, are all these different data services. I mean, we used to, there are lots of cloud architects but I think it's going to diversify and be like cloud data architect cloud infrastructure architect, and then tie even more so to each cloud because each cloud provider is growing so fast and, they um, are. Yeah. and and changing so fast. I don't think it's possible to, you can be either an uber generalist who just understands a really yeah. little bit about everything. But if it were me, I would be picking one and specializing in their data pieces or their infrastructure
1: pieces. Or just everything in general. Yeah, because nowadays it's like... I can talk about the data piece really well, but I I go to my colleagues when it's time to talk about the networking piece or the Active Directory piece or the storage architecture piece of a of an entire Azure subscription. It's the same with AWS. It's it's gotten to the point where they've it's gotten to the point where saying that. Your AWS and Azure expert is like saying that you're an Oracle expert and a SQL server expert. Right. It just does not happen anymore. The Things yeah. are too big, right? Yeah. So back in the day, we had people that actually said they were an expert in both, and sure, you know, in the year 2000, maybe they were. Today, that person does not exist. And yeah. if they say, they're just BSing you, obviously. And this is how we are with AWS and Azure now. I can, do, I can build a data warehouse in Oracle. I can build a data warehouse in SQL Server. But to, to say that I'm an expert at doing it in both platforms is a lie. Same thing yeah. with Azure and AWS. You can build an IoT solution that has a real-time streaming into a data warehouse and then some big data analytics and then outputs into Power BI. And you can build that same thing in AWS as well. But to get to that level of really big detail, is not going to be the same person anymore.
0: Yeah, agreed. And so for those worried about their career and uh, cloud taking your jobs, I, I don't see it happening. I, I see all maybe uh, you know the old school DBAs who only want to fix backups and jobs and yeah, your your career path is, is threatened. But what I'm seeing is a plethora of new career paths and, and many of these are exciting. to think. There's to a lot of on, opportunity. You
1: know, Absolutely. F- fixing, and that's kind of like what we said in the first episode though. It's yeah, like, fixing. don't freak out, but you're going to have to change. There's an opportunity yeah. if you want to go grab it. Yeah.
0: Agreed. I, I'm pretty excited about it because they're and actually all these new releases,
1: the aggressiveness of the cloud actually keeps is like uh, you know, it's like what's it called? It's like water for opportunity, right? It makes yeah. it grow for us because nobody can keep up with this anymore, right? Yeah, yeah The I Companies agree. need experts on all these different things because it's impossible to keep up with it anymore. Every single month there's something new.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, we should probably, as things change, we should probably have another chat about you know, does the cloud. Breed generalism and and how, what the effect of More, we can go a little bit deeper into some of and broader into some of these uh, other topics. Warner, can, for those who didn't hear the first two episodes, where can people find you and learn more about you?
1: For sure. So, you can reach out to me on Twitter at WarChav, that's W A R C H A V, or you can check out my personal blog, it's sequelturbo.com, dot O.com, or you can also check my company blog down at pythian.com as well.
0: Okay, good stuff, and I recommend you do that, folks. Warner has a blog post out about managed instances, and it's a it's a good read. I'm also going to include links to the keynotes from Microsoft Data Amp in, in in the show notes in case you missed it, and you can catch those on YouTube or Channel 9. And with that, that's all the time we have for today, folks. If you want to hear more of Warner's interviews, again, he's on Episodes 1 and 2. Did you like the show today? Remember, that the biggest compliment you can give us is to tell a friend and write a review on iTunes. And we love feedback. You can email us at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day in the datascape. Navigating the datascape.